You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Savage Arms and the new 110 Ultralight. At about six pounds, the 110 Ultralight is designed to combat elevation and the elements while maintaining the performance of a factory blueprinted Savage 110 action. The carbon fiber wrapped stainless steel barrel makes it durable and lightweight. The rifle comes equipped with the Savage AccuFit technology, so that means it's adjustable and it comes in a variety of calibers. The 308, the 270, the 28 Nosler, the 280 Ackley Improved, the 30 out 6 and much more. If you want to find out more information about the 110 Ultralight, visit savagearms.com. Welcome to the Southern Ground Hunting Podcast. I'm your host, Parker McDonald, and this is episode number 84. Today we're kicking off our local legend series, and we're kicking off really strong with our buddy Nathan Killen from Virginia. We're going to talk about how he hunts mountain bucks in the Appalachian Mountains. It is absolutely insane. Also, we're going to tell you how you can win a tethered phantom. It's really easy. Just make sure you listen to the show so you can figure out how you can maybe be the lucky winner. Thank you guys for listening. This is the Southern Ground Hunting Podcast. Welcome to the Southern Ground Hunting Podcast. Um, this is going to be our first you Southern us. Ground Hunting Podcast um, <laughs> that is going to start our video podcast. We're going to keep doing this. Yes. This is something we're going to keep doing. It's super easy. Dude, Might as looks, well keep doing it. It looks incredible in here, man. We redid the office. It looks tight. It does. Um, for the guys listening to this, just know that this podcast is being recorded in probably the coolest office that I've ever had. Yeah, I, I don't even have an office. So, I mean, this is definitely cool as office. We've yeah. got the logo there. we got one, two, three, four, five um, deer heads. got Big Boy over there. And, dude, it's just – and then you got the um, the saddle right there. It's just it's just yeah. legit, man. It, I've got it a is. demo pole that is really cool. For saddle I, hunting. I, for saddle hunting. Yes, for saddle hunting. Clearly, for saddle hunting, I, I would – um, I would show you guys, but um, I don't want to mess up the camera. No, but got the there is a, behind it. It's, it's it's legit, man. It's pretty cool. Like like literally, I feel like I'm looking at everything that we need to talk about um, in this portion of the show. Yes. So let's start off let's with obviously what's right here in front of us, and that is um, the tethered saddle system. Yes. Like freaking the best. The right? best. Like, the best. Simply the best. Predator down there. Got the predator. I actually today, I think I sold the saddle on a guy. Um, and we used my demo pole. So we went and ate lunch and uh, had a good time, you know, and talked about deer hunting and stuff. And uh, it was two guys. And uh, they were, like, asking about the saddle. And I was like, yeah. listen, y'all just come over to my house and try it try out? out. they're like, sure. So we got on the demo pole, set them up right at, at uh, like, six inches off the ground on the Sweet platform. Man. And I think they're going to go buy one. So oh, gosh, that's awesome. That's pretty cool. Now, Drew, I'm going to tell you something. Okay. Today is the first episode of Local Legends. I'm so excited, man. Right? Yeah. We just got done recording that episode, by the way. We've we've already recorded it five minutes ago. Guys, it's going to be... It's 
It's fantastic public land stuff. It's good stuff. We're talking to a guy named named Nathan Killen, mm-hmm. who is a, a freaking phenomenal deer hunter. Out of Virginia. Out of Virginia. Yep. And uh, um, the, the country part of Virginia. Let yes. me tell you, the southern part of yes. Virginia. And, um, Loud and proud, man. So I'm really excited about Local yep. Legends, obviously. This is a yearly thing that we do. Today kicks it off. But I want to tell you something that you don't know yet. Okay. And I didn't tell you. Okay. Because... Uh, you know, I wanted to see your reaction right now. Okay. Um, you're going to get a new car. Not really. Uh, um, no, we're going to give away a phantom saddle. Sweet. Like really soon. I love it. Like through the local Legends series. I love it. The last episode of local legends, which is going to be the last Friday, I guess in, uh, July in July. Yeah. It'll be the last episode of Local so how, Legends. So how does somebody go about winning this thing? Well, I will tell you how somebody goes about you winning. You like that transition, guys? You see that? Winning the uh, the, the Phantom Saddle. Um, talk to Greg. Greg's like, let's do this thing. Yeah. All right. So uh, another thing that people need to know is that we are um, starting the Southern Ground YouTube channel. Mm-hmm. I kicked that off today, yes. actually. Put the first video up there. It's just a short welcome video. I'm going to start gradually putting all the old content on mm-hmm. that channel on YouTube. And what we're going to do is everyone who subscribes um, from this point for if you're already subscribed, I'm just going to use all the subscribers. We're so you in. Yeah, yeah, you're you're in you're entered into the competition, but yeah. if you're not subscribed on YouTube, then you're not going to be entered into the Phantom giveaway competition. You have to be subscribed. So it doesn't matter if you are on any of our Instagram or our open forums, okay? Go to the YouTube page, guys. Go to the YouTube page and not just like look at a video, subscribe, hit the bell, hit the button. And the easy thing is if you're watching this right now, you're on the YouTube channel. Just hit like right now, subscribe just, just right now. Just hit subscribe right this second. Like it's super easy and you could win a Phantom Saddle. So we're going to give that away at it's the awesome. end of uh, at the end of July. And I'm really excited about it. Man, so, so, Local excited. Legends series, we're giving away a Phantom. Go subscribe to the Southern Ground YouTube channel. All you got to do is go type in Southern Ground, find the find the logo. You're going to see the logo. It's this logo that's behind me um, right now, which looks awesome, by the way. Looks sweet. Um, looks sweet. But, yeah, that's that's all you got to do. That's it. Super easy. That's it. It's and not then, hard at all. And then also, guys, since you're online, they can go to Scree Gear and... Screwgear.com. You can save like 15% on your purchase by using the code Southern Ground. All lowercase, all one word. Simple. It's easy stuff. Like it'll even autocorrect for you. Yeah. I don't know. Will it? Probably not. No. It probably won't do that. No. But 15% on Scree, guys, it's it's incredible camo. We used it all last year and and not just used it, like we beat it up. And it has held up great. Yeah, it doesn't look beat up at all. Nope. To be honest with you, I have not washed any of that stuff. That's all been worn at some point or other yeah, during turkey season, yeah. and none of it has been washed. I think I may have washed my scree stuff like once or twice, and you know what? They don't stink. No, it don't. It doesn't at all. No, it's, it's, it doesn't it don't smell bad at all. It doesn't at all. So you need to check that out. But um, is there anything else that we need to talk about, Drew? No, man. Just th- this episode is just. Yeah, get ready. Yeah, just just get ready. Get ready. It's, it's full of stuff, especially. Take some notes. There towards the end, man. There's some nuggets. There's nuggets throughout the whole entire thing. So don't, don't jump away from it, guys. It is solid all the way through. For sure, I'm excited about this. So, uh, yeah, let's get in 
to this episode with Nathan Killen from Virginia. All right, guys, welcome to the Local Legends series. This is the very first episode of Local Legends, and we are super excited because we have got a guy, Drew, that is pretty stinking legendary. He, he, he just killed. Speechless. I mean, he's just <laughs> just go to his Facebook page, his Instagram. I mean, he just kills big bucks. Yeah, he's he's a... He's, and not only does he kill big bucks, but he writes about killing big bucks. Yeah. Like, I mean, that's that's a whole other level. You know, you know what's really hard to find is a guy that can be well-spoken yep. and also kill big deer. Yes. Like, yes. That, I think that's what the hardest part about, especially hosting a Southern-based yeah. hunting podcast, is most of the guys that yeah. are out there killing big deer, you can't understand a word that they're no, saying. No one's asked us to write any articles about killing deer because yeah. we just freak out. Yeah, we're like, uh, English, grammar? I don't know anything about it. But we have got a guy on um, today that has, uh, man, just been super impressive to me and um, every time I read something that he's written or listen to a podcast that he's been a guest in, I come away learning something mm-hmm. every single yep. time. Yep. I think everybody does who listens to this guy. And that is Nathan Killen. He's even got Killen his name. I like, mean, with a name like that, yeah. I mean, you better be good. You better and be good is. at it. And he is. Yeah, he's got it. So uh, <laughs> we've got him on the line right now. Nathan, how's it going, buddy? It's going great, buddy. Just uh, enjoying this beautiful evening. That's good. So tell me this, all right? Have you done anything uh, – let me preface by saying this. A guy with a track record like yours, it seems like every single day of the year you're probably doing something to make yourself a better deer hunter. Let me ask you that question. Have you done anything today that would make you a better deer hunter? Probably not today because uh, uh, unfortunately I was uh, had to go to a funeral today, but uh, – I definitely will be this weekend. Uh, me and the girls were taking the horses to the mountains, and we'll do some trail riding. So uh, I'm, I've always got my eyes and ears open then, and uh, and may even hang a couple of trail cameras. So, um, but it's you know it, actually every day I'm always thinking about it. Of course, just like any other serious uh, deer hunter. But uh, yeah, that's that's about it. That's scouting on a whole new level right there, yeah, man. Yeah, horseback. Horseback, hanging trail that's cams cool. from horseback. I mean, that's just... That's cool. So you mentioned you got girls. Are they, um, are they like, as into it as you are, or do you think they will be at some point? No. Uh, my daughter, she is 15, and whenever I, I say my girls, I'm actually referring to my wife and my daughter. Oh, okay. But uh, my wife, she she likes to hunt some, and uh, she's killed a few deer. And uh, But my uh, daughter, she is really big time into horses uh, uh she loves training horses and and she matter of fact she reminds me of me uh except uh, she, her thing is horses and and mine is you know deer hunt of course but uh that's all she thinks about she eats breathes and sleeps it so oh sweet man that's awesome pretty cool. awesome nathan um where do you where do you call home i live in uh, the southwestern part of virginia uh just right in the edge of the coal fields okay um just outside of a little town called Lebanon. Okay, and, yeah. Uh, uh, yep. So let me ask you this, Nathan. Do you there? There's got to be a threshold somewhere in Virginia that separates like like uppity folk from country folk. Are you <laughs> are you on the country folk side of that? I, I feel like there's got to be am, somewhere right there. I am very deep into the country folk part. <laughs> if you can't tell by my accent, I am, I'm about as hillbilly as you can get. Brother. But uh, I'm pretty proud to be for, uh, 
from where I am from, you know. Um, but, uh, yeah, I couldn't imagine living anywhere else besides where I'm at right now. That's awesome. So one of the things we do with this Local Legends series is um, typically our podcast focus on a lot of tactics and strategies, mm-hmm. and we just yeah. usually just get right down to the meat. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that's, that's fine. We're definitely going to get into that with this episode. We'd be stupid not to when we've got somebody like, like Nathan on the line. But um, I, with this Local legend series, I want to learn about the person right. and kind of highlight the person's life. And, and with Nathan, Nathan it's going to be no different. And so, Nathan, you, you mentioned being proud of where you're from. Um, are you from that area of Virginia? And if so, tell us how you got into hunting around those mountains and, uh, and even on public land. Um, I'm, I've definitely, uh, been here all my life. I was born and raised right here. Matter of fact, uh, I live right now as a crow flies within two miles of where I grew up on my grandfather's farm. Oh, sweet. And, uh, but, uh, my dad, uh, me and him actually got started uh, hunting together. Uh, that was, he, he started probably around 80 and I started in 82 and, uh, uh, how we got started was uh, a coworker of my grandfather's, uh, named Eugene uh, Belcher. They both worked in the coal mines and, uh, my dad had been wanting to go deer hunting and, uh, uh, he could never find anybody that would take him, you know, and, uh, my grandfather knew that Eugene loved to hunt and stuff so he, he asked eugene he said do you mind to take my son hunting and uh, uh he said sure so uh, that fall they went hunting and actually eugene has been uh just a he's a, he's been like an uncle to me my whole entire life and uh but uh that's pretty much where me and dad got our start and uh of course i've always you know we've always hunted the mountains you know started hunting public ground and i've hunted public ground my whole life and uh, of course, I've you know I've hunted uh, some private land too here and there. My dad actually owned uh, some land up in West Virginia, and uh, uh, I've killed quite a few deer up there. He doesn't have that anymore, but uh, yeah, I've just uh, I guess cut my teeth right here in the mountains hunting these uh, whitetails, and <laughs> uh, I, I just really love it. That's awesome. Now, did you start out um, hunting with a rifle? Um, I, I notice a lot of your pictures have traditional archery stuff in that was that something that started from the get-go or were you were you basically when you started were you just using a gun no uh, whenever i first started uh my first season which i was only nine years old but uh i started with a 16 gauge shotgun and i actually killed a deer the very first time my dad set me down in the woods <laughs> and um uh, that's pretty, yeah, legit, pretty cool and then the next year, I started bow hunting and actually killed my first deer the first day of bow season. Uh, and uh, it's just, it's been like that ever since. Um, I think that it's just something that has just naturally come, you know, um, easier for me than, you know, most others, I guess. Um, I really believe that uh, God, whenever he created, created us, he gave us each uh, individual talents. And I just believe that that's one of mine, you know, that one, that one he gave to me. So, yeah, yeah. that's awesome. I wish he'd bless me with that one, <sighs> man. <laughs> me too. Oh man. Me too. So that's, that's really cool, man. I, I love that. It's, uh, it's actually honestly pretty similar to my story of me and my dad hunting together. Nathan, I don't know about you, man, but there makes, it makes something really special. Um, whenever you're able to learn 
how to hunt with your dad. He's not the one actually teaching you. It kind of makes that bond stronger because you're kind of going through that all together. Did you experience that same thing? Oh, yes, absolutely. Uh, you know, we uh, learned and made mistakes, uh, you know, through it. And, uh, that's, you know, of course, we learned from our mistakes. But, you know, my dad, he's he's a really competitive person, and he's always been good at whatever he done. And uh, so, I mean, he, he's he's a good bow hunter in his own right as well as Eugene, you know. So, I've, mm-hmm. you know, I've, I've actually, you know, grew up with good uh, – good bow hunters right with me so uh, that's helped out a lot but yeah you know what uh, whenever i was growing up whenever i couldn't go uh hunting i was actually building tree stands in the ridges behind uh the house just to rabbit hunt out of <laughs> <laughs> i know that sounds odd but i just i absolutely loved um uh, just you know bow hunting and the the process of you know scouting and uh and putting up tree stands you know building tree stands you know back in those days you know uh we built a lot of stands you go mm-hmm. into the woods and uh you would uh, find a nice forked tree and uh, you'd start cutting down saplings around the tree and that's what you'd uh, use to build the tree or the stand sure they wouldn't last very long but uh you know that definitely fond memories for me that's pretty cool yeah you say that like people might think you're crazy Dude, I I remember doing that in my grandparents' backyard and shooting birds out of a little blind that I made mm-hmm. out of sticks, like yeah. a little oh, little yeah. makeshift blind. Doing <laughs> yeah. that, I like it, it's just it's something about it, man. And I and I totally understand what you're saying. And uh, like it, just something that gets in your blood from a young age, and you can't help it. Like if if you have an opportunity to hunt something, you do it, and it just it just gets under your skin, man. And then these deer. Like, not only are they fun to hunt, they mm-hmm. taste delicious. So, they taste so good. So, like, Absolutely. <laughs> I just got done eating a, a steak, a deer steak. So, I, actually, let's talk about this for a second. I got a, a grill blew up in my face last night. I was going to ask you while about I was that. Trying to cook, uh, while I was trying to cook deer meat. Yeah. And uh, so, I'm clean shaven right now. So, everybody watching this video. Um, I'm I not. I look like a 15-year-old. I wasn't going to say anything. And, uh, like, I have this baby <laughs> face. So, because a grill... Blew up in my face, burnt all the hair off of me. My eyelashes are singed. My beard was singed. It's pretty. The mullet singed. The mullet got singed. Yeah. So, anyways, Man, oh, the, the, the worst part of that is having to shave your beard. I mean, I know. Wow, that's that's terrible. I know, <laughs> man. Nathan, you should you should have seen it. Like it was like, like the whole thing just blew up in my face, and my whole beard was like ashy colored. Like it was like. Every oh, single wow. hair was singed, and like it looked like I had like nice little highlights in my beard. <laughs> it was terrible. <laughs> it was the worst, and I got blisters all over my hands. From... But you were trying to cook deer meat, though. I know it. Like, was it good after you after you got it all? Like, oh, dude, I didn't cook it. Oh, you didn't? No, no. I went to Chick Fil A. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was like, it's I... Jesus's deer meat. <laughs> Listen, I was I was gun shy, man. I was I even I cooked it tonight. I ended up cooking it tonight, but I yeah. did it on a. On a skillet, I didn't turn on that grill. I'm oh. still, I'm still a little nervous about it. To be honest. Hey, with you. um, I also dropped off some deer meat this week. Yeah, yeah, we had pretty good. You made some pretty solid jerky. That I did. was good. I did. But so, anyways, well, that was a nice little break away. Let's get back to back to this stuff, man. I understand completely how it is to where it just gets in your blood. But Nathan, when did you realize like that this was going to be something that was going to be just a huge part of your life? 
Well, to be honest with you, I think that I've always felt that way. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I, I was actually listening to a podcast uh, the other day. It had uh, um, Justin Hollinsworth on it, and uh, I've kind of become buddies with him. But uh, it's funny listening to him talk about whenever he was in school having uh, North American Whitetails, uh, my, uh, North American Whitetail magazine, you know, stuffed in with his textbooks. And that is exactly uh, what I did. You know, I would go to school, and uh, I, I guess that's why I never made good grades. But uh, uh, I was, you know, I was just absolutely in love with whitetails. And uh, matter of fact, I can remember in the seventh grade, I was—I've always been really good at uh, drawing. And uh, I drew two deer during the rut, a buck and a doe. And uh, and that should be all. I need to tell you what the picture looked like. <laughs> But the teacher come and pecked me over the shoulder, and uh, he looked at me, and I knew I was instantly in trouble. So uh, uh, he, he took the, uh, the picture, and just a little while later, uh, he uh, come and got me and took me to the office. And whenever I walked in the office, there was my mom and dad and the principal. And the principal just busted out laughing. He said, son, you are a, a very talented uh, artist here. He said, but you can't be drawing stuff like this. <laughs> My dad actually still has that picture. That's amazing. Um, Okay, That's yeah. funny. I got to tell you, man, you might be my spirit animal because the very first time I got sent to the principal's office uh, was for drawing a picture of a it – was, it was not quite as hunting related, but kind of. I drew a lion like eating a deer, <laughs> and there was like blood everywhere in the picture. I was in – I think oh, I was yeah. in second grade or so. And I got sent to the principal's yep. office, and that's when I learned what a lie was because they were like, they said, you draw this? Nuh-uh. Uh-uh. And then they said, you're lying, and my dad had to come and paddle me. Yeah. So I, I totally understand, man. I get I get exactly where you're coming from. That's pretty crazy. Um, it's even better that your dad still has a picture. Yeah, I think my dad awesome. threw mine away probably. That's but, awesome. That's um, awesome. That's, that's, awesome. that's pretty cool. So you so you started as, as, a, as, a, as a young guy, got to learn – and grow with your dad, and you kind of knew from a young age that this is something that you wanted to do. I'm interested to know, um, like, uh, unless, I mean, it sounds like you were pretty lucky early on. When did you first kill that first mature buck? Well, my first, uh, I would say good buck, and of course it was just a a two-and-a-half-year-old deer, but it was a nice eight-point. I was 13 years old, and... uh, uh, I had killed a few, you know, other bucks before that, you know, just, you know how it is when you're, uh, when you're, uh, coming up through your, uh, hunting, you know, you're, it's almost like you set goal after goal after goal. And, you know, your first one is just to kill a deer. Then the next one is to kill how many, uh, see how many deer you can kill. And then the next one, well, I'm just going to shoot bucks and it doesn't matter what it is, you know, and, but, uh, I stayed in that phase up until I was, you know, in my mid teens and then, I started uh, decided deciding that I wanted to start, you know, really upping the game because, you know, at that time I knew that, you know, my my passion was bow hunting, you know, mm-hmm. although I did do a little bit of uh, hunting with the firearms. But, uh, you know, I can just remember, you know, uh, in my early teens, you know, me and Dad wasn't killing any, uh, you know, really big deer. But, you know, during rifle season, you'd always see, you know, uh, guys driving down the road, their tailgates down, and they'd be a, a really big deer on the tailgate or something. And I was like, you know, I, I, that's the kind of deer I want to kill right there. So, you know, I just started making adjustments to uh, what I was doing and where I was hunting. 
even, you know, in my mid-teens, and uh, I started actually killing some nice bucks. Even during high school, you know, I was about, you know, the only one killing, you know, uh, pretty nice bucks back then, and and it's just stuck with me, you know, and uh, so. What, what, what were some of the things that you, that you first started doing early on? I know um, a lot of people that kind of got it, get into this, I guess, addiction, for mm-hmm. lack of a better word, it's really int- intimidating to start because you don't even know where to start. And so it's kind of hard to teach people how to do that with anything other than personal experience. Yeah. That's, that's kind yeah. of what I've experienced. And um, I'm curious to know, Nathan, what are some of the things that you did just early on that you felt like were those deciding factors for you to be able to shoot um, bigger bucks than anybody else that was around your age? Well, one of the things that uh, I realized is, uh, and, you know, back in those days, you know, every now and then somebody would kill a really big deer. So I just started, you know, kind of analyzing who was killing those big deer and uh, and where were they coming from. And one thing that I noticed was is nobody uh, was killing them consistently. And normally the bigger deer were killed by, somebody that was, you know, like a beginner or somebody that uh, just killed a buck, you know, a really big deer in a spot that they never expected, you know. Yeah. So, you know, I, so I, you know that, that told me that I didn't need to be hunting the same type of spots that 90% of other hunters hunted. So Definitely. I, I started, you know, thinking outside of the box even then. And, uh, and I think that's what really helped me, you know, and, and, you know, I eventually started putting two and two together, you know, realizing, uh, that, you know, these big mature bucks was not, you could not kill them outside the rut by hunting deer. You had to separate the two, you know, so. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. And, and I've heard a lot of people say that, you know, um, over and over and over again. One of the things that I've learned, um, not not necessarily recently, but in my more recent years of deer hunting, is that just because the sign is there does not mean that's the place that you're going to kill a big right, buck. And right. in fact, most of the places where I've killed a mature buck, um, it has been areas that maybe the sign is just a little a little more scarce. Have you noticed kind of the same thing, Nathan? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, you know, big bucks, they're, uh, I've said this before, they're hermits, you know, uh, mm-hmm. especially during the day, you know, at, at night they become more social, uh, but not really, uh, as an interaction with other deer. It, it's more, you know, just, uh, uh sniffing around and, and figuring out what's going on, you know, um, and really sitting here thinking, you know, after you asked me that question, Growing up, you know, once I got my driver's license and I had some freedom, uh, you know, I, I was constantly in the woods. I, I, you know, like during the winter months and stuff, you know, mm-hmm. I was I was in the woods all the time. And, and you know, nobody else ever done that then, you know. Mm-hmm. This was back in the, you know, uh, late 80s, uh, you know, early 90s. So uh, I think that's one thing that probably helped me, you know, was, you know, I was doing stuff you know, post-season when other people weren't doing anything at all. Yeah, I mean, that's that's even even now, I mean, I'm sure you know this, Nathan, that's one of the things that separates good deer hunters from from maybe mediocre deer hunters. 
um, even in adulthood. I can imagine when you're a teenager, that probably, I mean, everybody else's, most guys, when they're a teenager, they're concerned about one thing, and we don't even have to say it on right. on the podcast. Yep. It's kind of what Nathan drew. Yeah, yeah, kind of what Nathan drew, what he got in trouble for drawing. <laughs> yeah. For, <laughs> yeah. That's, that's definitely true. And, and so, like, that, that's the only thing that a lot of guys are, are concerned about at that age. Or, and, you know, making, you know, getting a job, making making some money, you know, getting a jacked up truck, you know. Yeah, getting a jacked up truck. Yeah. They're, they're yeah. concerned about that for yeah. sure. But but it seems like, you know, when I think about my teenage years, I was definitely in love with deer hunting. I mean, it was as much as I possibly could do it. Um but I wasn't probably going the extra mile like I should have been. Mm-hmm. Like most people aren't at yeah. that age. And so I can see, I mean, it really does. And I would say to anybody listening to the podcast right now who finds yourself, you know, younger, um, maybe you're not married, don't have kids, maybe you're still in high school, um, whatever that situation may look like, I promise you, your time doesn't free up when you get married and start having kids. Like, you it just doesn't. <laughs> no, no. And you have an opportunity at that age to be able to really like dive into it and get deep into it mm-hmm. and and learn a lot of things when you don't have a lot of the responsibilities that um you know married and parents have. You know yeah. what I'm you know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. Like and so that's that's really Amen to that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's it's hard. Like it's hard as an adult to be able to, to try to go and do that stuff. I'm sure in the background you can hear my son crying right now he's he's crying upstairs like that's that's life that's what life is like yep. you know it's yep, yep. it's fun and it's yeah it's fulfilling i'm not saying that but you have an opportunity when you're younger to go out and basically do what nathan did and and um i, I was talking to you nathan the other day and we were um kind of just talking i asked you how old you were and uh how, how old are you again like 47 is that what you said yeah yeah i'll be 47 here in just uh about two weeks okay so forty six. We ain't gonna give you. We ain't gonna call you forty seven yet. Forty six. Forty six years old. Um, I mean, just a a a ton of success mm-hmm. in a place with um, where success rates are are relatively low. Um, when you talk about mountain bucks, there's not a lot of places that are mountains, and when it comes to whitetail, that they're easy to kill. It's right. almost always gonna be hard. Yeah. And. Um, but you're talking about a guy who's 46 that has had as much success as a guy who's probably in his maybe in his 60s mm-hmm. or 70s. Um, like that's that's what I, I think. I think Nathan, I think you're the the youngest local legend that we've ever had on the show. Mm-hmm. It's true. Which is which is pretty interesting to think about, especially when you say that. And so I I'm, I want to know Nathan. Like so, you're a young you were a, you were a young guy then. Um, and you knew that you wanted to do this and you were the one that was going out and maybe being better than everybody else in your, um, in your hunting career at that point in time. Um, do you feel at this point as a 46 year old, do you feel like you missed out on anything because of deer hunting? Well, I'm sure that I missed out on quite a few things, but it's nothing that, uh, um, that I can look back on and think that I uh, wished I could have done, if that yeah. makes sense. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Know? Yeah. Um, I, I'm actually glad, you know, because it, I'm sure that it kept me uh, away from a lot of things that uh, otherwise I shouldn't have been doing anyway. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But. Uh, yeah. 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 I just yeah. think the good Lord was looking out for me whenever He gave me the uh, the passion. So He He, he foreknew uh, 
what I would probably be if I wasn't. So <laughs> that's what I need to tell my wife. Like any, when I want to go deer hunting, be like, the "Lord is keeping me out of trouble, baby." I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to hear the voice of the Lord in this. Yeah, that'll only work for so long. That's right. <laughs> for, for so long, Nathan. Um, it it sounds like from a very early age that um, you were very mobile in your hunting, and I know we 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 both saddle hunt and mobile hunt, and it's it's also very interesting though that you started um it sounds like at a young age mobile hunting is is that correct oh yes uh yeah i remember uh you know back then of course i can't remember what the years were it would have been probably the late 80s uh well actually you know whenever i first started uh my dad used to build our tree stands you know they were they kind of remind you, I don't know if you guys are familiar with the Baker style tree stand, Yeah. but mm-hmm. that's, you know, my dad, uh, you know, being the talented uh, fabricator that he is, he would build them for us mm-hmm. and, uh, we'd sling those things across our shoulder and, you know, we would, you know, hunt somewhere, uh, during the morning and then we'd meet back together and, uh, eat and then we would just go off in a different direction and scout and, you know, then go up a tree and, yeah. uh, then, you know, a little bit later, you know, I bought a uh, uh, a lock-on wind walker, mm-hmm. and uh, and and even today for today's standards, you know that that stand is a super lightweight stand. I think yes, it weighs it like around six pounds. Yeah, people and, are looking uh, for them right now. Yeah. Like people want to. They're find paying some. high dollar for them yeah. too. Yeah, they're just very packable. But uh, but now you know, uh, you, you know, seem like stands went from that to you know just big gawky uh kind of uh really really comfort type stands and mm-hmm. and now they're getting back to you know super lightweight and just very functional and very uh packable you know uh, and really i think long wolf custom gear is is leading that market now they yeah. their products is just you know that they're really geared toward the mobile style hunter you know and and that's that's something that they just released. I think this not released, but um, it just went on the their website mm-hmm. that point five stand. Point five, yeah. Didn't I, it? Uh, you correct me if I'm wrong, Nathan, but didn't it just hit the hit the website like this week or last week? Yes. Yep. I think just last week. Yep. That's a that's uh, a sweet yeah, that's, stand. Uh, yeah, that's going to be an, an incredible little stand uh, to be able to pack around in the mountains and stuff. You know. So. Oh yeah. Yeah, and. Um, and Nathan, gear is really important for you, especially the packability. Because just looking at some of your pictures, man, that's some that's some steep stuff that you got to deal with right there. Yeah, um, of course, you know uh, I, I live right in the mountains here. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, you know, whenever you leave the truck, uh, you know, it's, you know, you could hunt close, and sometimes mm-hmm. I do, and I have killed you know nice bucks within the eye shot of the road, but that's where they were at, you know, right. And that's you know you you've got to hunt where they where they are. Right. But uh, uh, yeah, you know sometimes you know I'm two and three miles deep, and uh, and sometimes you're you know an elevation gain of you know a thousand to fifteen hundred feet. So uh, yeah, uh, gear is very important. You know. So yeah. I, I, I use a Everly stock uh, uh, backpack, and and it's nice and roomy, and I can get all my gear stuffed in it and attached to it and stuff. So. Yeah, I I, I'm, I use it at Everly Stock as well. I use the X2 pack, and uh, it, yeah. it does everything very well, actually. Like, it's it's a really functional pack for me because I, I hunt a similar – it's not nearly as 
um, probably big and mountainous as where you're hunting, but mm-hmm. it is the North Alabama it mountains. Is. It's it the is. foothills of the Appalachian mountains or whatever. And, uh, and so we do get some pretty steep stuff and, and obviously, you know, gear is very important for mm-hmm. the gear is important for people who are hunting flatland. If you're trying to go deep on public, if you're hunting mobile, it's yeah, your gear seems to be, be important. Yeah. But especially when you're talking about like a, a 1500 foot, um, difference from where you're parked at, from where you're to where you're hunting. Is that what you said, Nathan? Yes. Pretty yes. close. Um, yeah, you know, uh, some of the elevations that I hunt at could be as low as, you know, around 2,000 feet, uh, but, you know, some of the areas that I hunt are close to 6,000, you know, uh, so. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, that's, that's, that's pretty much walking uphill. Yeah, that's that's pretty crazy. And, and then downhill. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's nuts, man. Yeah. And, and is it one of those things for you that it always, it's just always been that way, so you don't really know any different? Like, or is it like literally every time you get out of the truck, you're like, well, crap. <laughs> I guess I'm going to do this thing. You know, I absolutely love walking in the mountains. And every since I've been hunting, I've always went as far as my legs would carry me. Matter of fact, I know that my dad has gotten aggravated at me on, on several occasions because <laughs> uh, he would say, Son, do you not realize that you can kill those same deer closer to the truck? instead of going all the way back where you're going, because, you know, he'd have to come back there and help me get him out. Yeah. You know, but uh, I've always been the type of uh, person that had to know what was on the next ridge. And once I got to there, I'd have to know what was on the next one, you know. Um, It's just part of me, you know. I just, I love the experience of the, uh, you know, mountains and stuff. And and actually, uh, even our biggest areas around here are getting small to me. Yeah. You know, I'm, wow. Yeah. Um, I'm looking for new adventure all the time. So. Yeah. Yeah. And so when you when you talk about like when you talk about you know that you're going one ridge to the next ridge and you're you know you like doing that and you're you're going out with your with your family mm-hmm. um, to go hike the mountains and and ride horses and and do all that kind of stuff. Obviously, I would imagine you're scouting some during that time. Are you like when you're doing that, are you actually like picking, like picking out spots during your scouting, or are you more of a, of a scout and hunt kind of guy? Does that make sense? Are you more of like a preseason yeah, oh, scout? Yeah. Yes, I, I actually both. You know, uh, you know, like during the spring and or winter and spring months, right? You know, immediately after hunting season goes out, you know, I'm already. Uh, thinking about, you know, uh, I love to shed hunt and, uh, but I always scout the areas that I hunted that year. And I also have new areas, uh, in mind, you know, as a matter of fact, the guys at work, if they see me sitting somewhere uh, with my phone in my hand, they, they always say, what are you doing? Looking at topo maps, I bet. And that's, yeah. you know, that's, that they're exactly right. Cause they, they know how I am, but you know, uh, when we're riding the horses, I've always got uh, my phone in my pocket, and uh, and I got uh, in my location uh, on there, and I got Onyx or Backcountry Navigator Pro uh, pulled up, and I'm always, you know, looking and uh, thinking, you know, uh, you know about what you know could be potential or whatever. But uh, yeah, I'm I'm always, you know, that that's that's what I do, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Also, too, Nathan, kind of go along with that same thought Parker had. 
do you do you find yourself having you know um, kind of like your honey holes that every year you just have a lot of history with deer in there, or are you more man? I, I just got to go see that next ridge, and I, and I got to go see it, or, or do you kind of have a, a, a history with growing up there, knowing those mountains? Do you, do you know where deer are pretty much going to be, or do you just love to go look at at the next ridge over? Um, I think both. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I, you know, I, I do have certain areas that I frequent, but I don't frequent them that often. Because right. if if what I'm looking for is not there, then I, I move on. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, you know, uh, for instance, if I if I find a, a good deer or two that I'm interested in hunting, and uh, and you know, I run trail cameras during the summer to verify okay. that they're there. Okay. And then uh, you know, once hunting season comes in. And I start hunting those areas, and, and those bucks, you know, have either moved on or I'm just not having any luck with them. Then I have no problem, you know, uh, pulling up stakes and, and going somewhere fresh. Yeah. You know, because I've always got places in mind, you know, mm-hmm. and like during the winter and stuff, I, it's it's not always possible to hit every one of those spots. And, uh, and you know, generally every year I've got, you know, a handful of, of spots you know, that I know that there's some big deer in there. So, mm-hmm. and matter of fact, uh, uh, one of the spots that I'm going to hunt this year, I, I left that area a couple of years ago and they was several really good deer in there, but, uh, I knew that they were kind of young and I've, I've moved into another area and hunted there. And, and this year I'm going to go back because it's been two years later mm-hmm. and I'm sure all those bucks are still there. So I'm I'm really looking forward to you know seeing what uh, they've turned into. Yeah. So. so your your trail cameras are they on um, certain like you know fields or are they on uh, underneath acorn trees or where do, where do you kind of put your trail camera to get inventory of a deer that you want to go after? Uh, well, it, a little bit of everything. You know, mm-hmm. mostly in some kind of terrain feature. You know that. Most of the time, it's some kind of train feature that connects where they're bedding. And, uh, of course, now, these mountain deer, that they have a lot of different places that they bed. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not like they have one right. bedding area. But, you know, I, I just spread cameras out in, in those type of spots. Uh, and, uh, you know, on private land or something other, I'll run some mineral. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, and actually, this year, I, I don't know if you guys have uh, know Troy Pottinger, uh He's pretty popular right now on podcasts and stuff, but he's from northern Idaho, and he he's had a lot of success run or making mock scrapes. Mm-hmm. So that, that's something I'm going to start incorporating into my uh, trail cam- camera strategy during the summer uh, too, because you know a lot of people don't realize this, but you know bucks do use licking branch you know year round so mm-hmm. that's another good way to uh, get inventory so mm-hmm. um that's i don't have a lot of experience with that, but... yeah that's something mm-hmm. that i that i've that i've noticed especially for early season hunting uh and i actually heard andre DeQuisto talk about this on a on a podcast at one point and it's been something that i've tried to keep up with since then is the, the just the idea of licking branches mm-hmm. and um kind of establishing that pecking order especially as the velvet starts coming off that early season right you know you'll find those areas that are beat down to the ground that look like scrapes they look like big community scrapes Mm -hmm. it's really just because 
a lot of deer have been using that and licking those branches, trying to establish that pecking order. Yeah. In the mountains, Nathan, is that something that you're that you're looking for um, in in preseason or even the early season? Is that something that you're trying to hunt? Um, and, and I guess kind of let me give you like a, a background behind that question. In the mountains that I hunt, typically scrapes are not productive. Um, and I'm curious to know in Virginia, um, in some of the places that you hunt, are is a scrape ever something that's really productive? No. <laughs> and, and, you know, I'm going to get some backlash for saying that because I'm sure there's hunters out there that, you know, uh, like to hunt scrapes. But, you know, I, I know what kind of, uh, uh, you know, scrapes that a man should be hunting and, and, and hanging trail cameras over, you know, that there are very specific scrapes that, you know, if you wanted to hunt, you know, those are the type that to hunt. And, it, of course, it's those big truck hood side scrapes that's really dished out, got a, you know, a big uh, um, thumb-sized uh, licking branch over it. And, and, you know, you can tell that those deer are really working those over. But, you know, I've, I've run cameras over those for years. And uh, most of those type scrapes are always located near, you know, uh, uh, areas where deer are feeding, you know, really heavily. Mm-hmm. And and so, you know, you're not going to get, uh, and, and my experience has been that you're not going to get, uh, you know, any kind of consistent uh, pictures or sightings of, of, and I'm talking a mature buck, you know, a five, six, seven, eight-year-old deer, mm-hmm. you're not going to uh, catch them on any kind of consistent pattern enough to be able to kill them in those type of spots. It, it, for me, it's just too sporadic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, But, uh, you know, and as far as licking branches, and you got to think, too, you know, here in the mountains, you don't have uh, heavy concentrations of bucks. Right. You know, so... Uh, um, in, in areas with a lot of broken habitat, you know, like say the Midwest or somewhere where you have, you know, several, you know, uh, three, four, five year old, uh, deer in an area, you know, that those type of spots are going to have a lot more activity, you mm-hmm. know, uh, versus in the mountains, you know, so. Yeah. And, and so I asked that question and, and also it makes me feel good. It makes me feel good about that. And actually last year, um, we talked to a fellow named Jamie McKay who said the exact same thing. And when I asked him that question, he said, I, I said, why, why don't you hunt scrapes? And he says, well, if you set over as many scrapes as I have in my life and not been productive, you'd probably start, hunt, stop, stop hunting scrapes mm-hmm. too. And, uh, and I don't, I don't do it. Like it, it's, it's never been productive for me either. Um, but when I heard Andre talk about these, uh, pecking order licking branches in the early season, especially when they're right there close to bedding um, that he, what he has seen is deer is bucks getting up out of their beds mm-hmm. throughout the day and going and checking out that licking branch, as long as it's still in that heavy cover. Right. Um, and I have found a couple of those, not a lot, but I found a couple of them um, during the early season. And um, I'm curious to know, is that a scenario that you would hunt Nathan? Yeah, if I could find that scenario here in the mountains, but, uh, you know, these mountain bucks where they have so much variety and choices as far as where to bed, you know, most of the time they're bedded either behind where uh, the doe family groups are or in a completely different direction. Mm -hmm. So, you know, they're going to lay most of their scrapes in areas where, you know, there's going to be a lot of social activity. Yeah. 
but now I can I can tell you in Ohio now a man would be a fool not to hunt scrapes especially the last week of October into the first week of November huh. I have a little bit of experience hunting Ohio not a lot but uh, I've run trail cameras there and I have had some excellent uh, hunts uh, hunting over those really big you know uh, truck hood sized community scrapes as a matter of fact one of the first ones I killed in Ohio was over one of those scrapes. Those mm. bucks are they're just a totally different animal uh, in Ohio versus here in the mountains. They, uh, and they seem to me like a lot more daylight active than they are in the mountains. Do so, you think that has to do... Or or at, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say that, uh, you know, in uh, over scrapes anyway. Yeah. You know? Do you think that has to do, and obviously it does have to do with sheer deer density, but do you think it has also to do with, um, like, in those states like that um, that have higher deer numbers, but they also have a higher, uh, they have a lot more areas of concentrated food sources. So um, when I say a concentrated food source, it's kind of a, a constant a constant food source as mm-hmm. well, like cornfields, soybean fields, and and different things of that nature, crops and, and things like that. Whereas um, in a mountain scenario, or even really a lot of the South, most of the South, whether it be swamps, mountains, just big woods, yeah. whatever it is, um, we don't have those. We have everything is a lot more diverse, mm-hmm. a lot more spread out. There's not really those concentrated areas. Do you think that Nathan that that has to do with you know where they're laying down those scrapes and when they're actually visiting those um, a scrape location is just like that their their food sources aren't not necessarily as concentrated. I, I hope that makes sense. Um, what I'm oh, asking. it makes perfect sense. I think it makes perfect sense, and I think you hit the nail on the head. You know, the more broken the habitat is, the more it's going to concentrate the deer into smaller areas. Mm-hmm. You know, like here in the mountains, you know, what's on one ridge is the same as the next and the next and the next and the next, you know. So the deer are really spread out, you know, and uh, whereas, you know, in broken habitat, you know, the deer are really, you know, where they bed is more uh, concentrated and where they feed is more concentrated. And normally the, the distance between the two isn't that very, you know, far. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, in the mountains, you know, whenever we have heavy uh, acorn crops, you know, uh, deer don't have to move very much. You know, they can uh, they can pretty much spend their whole time in you know a remote thicket on a hillside and never have to come out for anything. Yeah, yeah. you know, uh, so yeah, it, it's just two totally different uh, uh, habitat. And, and I believe the more broken the habitat is, the more productive, you know, hunting scrapes and stuff is going to be. So Yeah, and that was one of the questions I was thinking about. When I was thinking about talking um, to you and talking about mountains, so I've, I've hunted, I hunted the North Georgia mountains last year for the first time. And one of the things that I really like to do is I like to hunt really hard edges. Um, and most of those hard edges are, are things that I'm finding on on Onyx or mm-hmm. Hunt Stand or whatever I'm using at that time. Um, and I'm looking for those, like, pines to a cutover or mm-hmm. 
hardwoods to a, a cutover right. into pines. Like I really like those three or four way transition. Some lines. type of transition. Yeah. And we did a we did the episode um, uh, X marks the spot at the mm-hmm. end of deer season, and 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 we really talked about those yeah. like finding those those areas like that that you know are I guess um, high likelihood areas or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, right, yeah, areas that have a lot of topography coming mm-hmm. together and uh, edges. Yeah, the, the more topography you have coming into one spot along with hard edges like you just mentioned, uh, those are just deer highways, man. Yeah. Um, especially, you know, cruising bucks, you know, they, they, they love to travel those type of spots. And the more you have come together in one spot, you know, the more your chances go up, you know, of having an encounter of a buck coming through those spots so and the thing i noticed about the north georgia mountains is it did not seem like there was a lot of those hard edges there was obviously terrain features mm-hmm. that were um that Rid- made ridges sense. dumping off into each yeah, other and, yeah yeah really good terrain features but the the it was pretty monotonous just as far as the vegetation is that something that you are finding um there or that you have found there in the places that you hunt is that it's it's not quite as common to find those hard edges as far as vegetation is concerned? No, not necessarily. Uh, we have a lot of mountain laurel and uh, rhododendron thickets, you know. Okay. So, uh, uh, you know, those create, uh, uh, you know, excellent edges, you know, where they come mm-hmm. out into open hardwoods and stuff. So uh, timber cuts are, are something that uh, I'm hoping is, is going to come back. Uh, because ever since, you know, back in the, through the 80s and early 90s, and actually up into the mid-90s, I guess, you know, uh, timber cuts were something that was happening all the time, and that creates, as you guys know, that creates fantastic deer habitat, and it creates, uh, you know, excellent edge habitat. Mm -hmm. And so all that has went away uh, the past 15, 20 years, uh, but I hear it's coming back. I'm really excited for that if it is. So, uh, but, uh, yeah. Uh, any type of edge habitat like that is is fantastic, and then those are the type of areas that I concentrate on too. You know, so yeah. So so you talked about terrain features, and um, you know, we talk about that quite mm-hmm. a bit on on the podcast. But I obviously I want to know your take on it when you talk about just those um, the terrain features that you're looking for, especially when you're talking about topo lines that are really close together almost where you can't even see them it just looks like a just a giant solid color yes um what are some of those things that you're looking for um when you when you're looking at a, at a topo map and you say that's where i think i'm going to find the deer sign at what are some of those things you're looking for well uh, i like really steep hillsides that join flatter uh terrain okay. and, and generally you know where those two come together you know that that's where I want to be because I know from experience that these big deer they like to bed on these steep hillsides. And whenever I talk about steep hillsides, you know a deer isn't they don't want to lay on a spot that you're going to slide off. You know that there's going to be some little benches and, and stuff like that on those uh, steep hillsides, and most time that's where the deer will be. You know, mm-hmm. but uh, I want to be somewhere you know along the edge of that where those tight uh, top uh, uh, tight um, contour lines start opening up, you know, and getting wider. Yeah. So, uh, and that's uh, where you actually want to be set up at, or that's where you feel like the deer are at. 
Well, that, that's where I want to be set up at because I know, you know, I'm going to be as close to the bedding as possible, mm-hmm. and it is extremely hard to get set up really good to hunt on those steep hillsides. So, you know, once those steep, steep hillsides start transitioning into the flatter spots, that's where I want to be. And one thing, you know, uh, it's just easier to um, set up in those spots, you know. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, mm-hmm. and a lot of those bucks will cruise, you know, those uh, uh, areas too, you know. So, uh, do, you find, do you find in those areas that the bucks are, are cruising or, like, side-hilling, or do, they, do you find them going, like, vertically, traveling vertically? No, most of the time they're definitely side healing, okay. you know, uh, but now they will uh, come up or, uh, you know, travel up and down a ridge, you know, uh, like, you know, most of the time where those uh, steeper areas uh, start transitioning into uh, uh, the flatter type ground, there'll be a ridge that kind of separates those two. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, uh, you know, they'll travel up and down those spots and, you know, but most of the time around the side of the hill and it, and, and it also depends on the elevation that the acorns are at too, you know. Sometimes the acorns are, are widespread, and sometimes you might find that they're at a certain elevation. So if they're at a certain elevation, they're going to be more likely to uh, travel along the contour line, whereas if they're widespread or just down low or just down top or up top, then they may travel up and down, you know, more so. So, it, you know, a lot of it has to do with, you know, where the food is in relation to where they're bedding. So. Let me ask you this. One of the things that, um, I don't typically do a lot of out here is hunt the spines of a ridge. Um, I find a heavy concentration of deer sign, um, but I don't typically find a lot of buck sign. Just any buck, like not even mm-hmm. not even a difference between young and old. I just don't typically see a lot of a lot of bucks on ridge tops on the spines of those ridges. Right, they're almost always on some type of some type of slope. Mm-hmm. Um, is that something that yeah. you're finding or is, is there ever a time whenever you feel like a spine of a ridge is a good place to be? No, uh, I never, I, you know, back in my younger years, you know, I hunted the spine of a ridge, but no, uh, you, you should always be off one side or the other. Most of the time, it, it, you know, he's going to travel either the leeward side or, um, if it has cover, you know, both of those two need to kind of factor into where you want to set up. But, you know, most of the time they're always off one side or the other, the top of the ridge. So, And, and do you find, um, one of the things that, that we talk about fairly often is, um, deer finding that, that thermal tunnel, right? Mm-hmm. So, tra- and traveling in that, um, obviously, when you when you're talking about a fifteen hundred foot gap in elevation, it's going to be hard to find where that that little that thermal funnel or tunnel actually is at. Is that something that you're paying attention to at all? Um, is it is it pretty constant there on a certain you know top third of the ridge or something like that, um, or is it kind of random? Well, uh, if you're on a main ridge, uh, yes, you know, it, it would be more constant than say a secondary ridge. Um, but yeah, you, you know, I don't think in terms of, uh, ther- uh you know, a thermal tunnel or whatever, you know, uh, but the, actually when you're hunting the leeward side, that's exactly what is being created, you know? Right, right. 
So yeah, and and do you find? Um, I guess I guess my I guess my question here is that the travel of the deer would it be more? You mentioned you know which what elevation the acorns are falling on. Um, do you think what do you think would predict the deer movement the the best or where they're going to move at? Would it be something like the thermal funnel or would it be the elevation that the acorns are falling? Because that could vary um, tremendously. Yes, so that, no, it would definitely. It would definitely be uh, the location of the acorns. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I see the buck bedding being uh, very important as far as uh, you know thermals and, and wind. You know that that's but whenever wind is in the equation, that's going to be more important as to where he's bedding versus where he's feeding. Okay. You know that makes yeah. a lot of sense. That makes a lot, and and it's 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 one of those things. Whenever you're talking about you know maybe three hundred feet of elevation from the yeah. the creek bottom that yeah. we're hunting versus the spine of that ridge, uh, you know, it, it's relative, it's a lot easier to find those places. And, you know, right. you may not be, you may not, especially if you're, if you're rifle hunting, you may not be screwed out of, out of a buck if yeah. he just travels anywhere on that ridge. So, um, but when you're talking about 1500 feet, there's a lot of room for error on that, on that type of ridge. And so, um, I think those those kind of type of questions are pretty important. Um, now, when you're looking for um, a, another type of area, obviously the first thing that comes to mind when I think of you know hill country would be or mountain country would be a saddle. Like I think every deer hunter for mm-hmm. a long time has said a saddle. That's where you need to. That's where you need to be set up at yeah. at some point or other. Yeah. Um, I think you have a pretty interesting take on this, Nathan, and I, I kind of want to know. Um, does a saddle jump out to you on a topo map, um, and why or why not? Well, you know, I definitely pay attention to those type of terrain features, but I, saddles are what, just like what you just said, that is where everybody wants to hunt. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in my experience, you know, bucks will skirt the edge of those type of terrain uh features you know most people want to set up dead right in the middle of it where they can they feel like that they're catching most of the deer traffic coming through but now that those big deer you know you imagine you know hunters hunting those places repeatedly and and then a big buck comes through there during the middle of the night or whatever and and he can smell where the hunter's been Mm -hmm. you know so, uh, you know, he starts avoiding, you know, going right through the middle of that, and he'll he'll be off to one side or the other. And uh, and, and really, personality has a lot to do with how those bucks will come through those uh, places, too. You know, younger bucks, I'm talking, you know, year-and-a-half, two-and-a-half, three-and-a-half-year-old bucks, you know, the, the more social they are, the more likely that they're going to go right through the middle of that uh, uh, type of terrain feature, uh because, you know, they're with, uh, you know, they're more interested in uh, social interaction with other deer. So naturally that's, you know, where the other deer travel through. Mm-hmm. A deer that is less social, he won't, um, he, he won't travel dead center through those type of spots. He'll be off to one side or the other. And uh, because he don't really want that uh, one-on-one contact with that other deer, you know, he's, he's just more of a hermit type per- or deer. And if you think about that, you know, a, a buck uh, during hunting season that is more social, he's going to get killed a whole lot earlier mm-hmm. than, uh, you know, a, a buck that's not as social. So, you know, a buck that's using that area, and I, I know that I'm probably 
making this sound confusing. I don't know, but not at all. No. I'm, <laughs> not at all. I'm, I'm trying to, you, you know, uh, differentiate the uh, the difference between. Uh, well, I guess the easiest way to say it is is a buck that is more social will live uh, a lot uh, shorter lifespan than a buck that is uh, less social. Yes. That makes a lot of sense. Makes and, perfect and, sense. Yeah, because he's put, you know, a, a more social deer is, is putting himself out there, uh, you know, in the visible, you know, and being more visible. So, you know, he, he's going to die a whole lot or, uh, earlier. So mm-hmm. a buck that is less social, like I said, you know, from the beginning, he's going to live longer. So, you know, uh, the older he gets, you know, he's still going to be uh, less social. So he he's going to make it by a whole lot easier. So right. I know you, I rattled on a lot right there. No. no, not at all. It makes you wonder if, like, like let's just say you went out on a on a a deer farm, mm-hmm. right, a high fence or something like that. Yeah, and you have a bunch of deer that are able to reach maturity. It makes you wonder if they really do if they do have different personalities, mm-hmm. or if they just mature and they mature into being yeah more you know hermit like like what mm-hmm. he's saying it makes you wonder that because like obviously it makes sense in your mind to say oh you know they're gonna die a lot faster if they're more social they're gonna right. die a lot faster um but it makes you wonder if if they didn't die would they still be social you know what i'm saying do you yeah. think do you think that yes. they have those it, 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 personalities my, it, yes absolutely and the reason i say that is is because you know all these hunting shows and stuff you see on TV that you know these guys are hunting these uh, um, um, private leases and stuff like that. That they, the bucks that they are killing are very social deer. Mm-hmm. You know that they're you know you you see those big bucks coming right out into food plots and stuff right in the you know broad daylight and stuff. And I guarantee yeah. you that they still have bucks that. Uh, have um are less social that they, you know they might just get on trail camera but they hardly ever see during the daylight mm. yeah. but yet they're still the same both the same age class deer yeah yeah yeah, yeah that makes and, a but, lot of sense you know, they're they're allowing those bucks to reach that you know uh maturity but because they're passing them up yeah you know so uh you know they're that those are the ones that they're killing yeah yeah so nathan we we talked about the saddle and how um you kind of avoid those um but what are what is something if you picked up a you know new piece of property with a with a good ridge system what is something on a topo that catches your eye and then also how do you pick a tree in that in that that you want to set up in well naturally you know what i look for the steeper places mm-hmm. uh and and the flatter spots too, because I know the deer, you know, if they they consider that's where they're going to be at night, right? You know, and uh, then whenever they go back to bed, you know, uh, especially the older uh, bucks, they're going to be on those steeper hillsides. So mm-hmm. I'm looking for any kind, you know, like a bench or uh, a logging road, anything that connects the two. Okay. And for uh, for example, a bench. Let's say that I find a bench that uh, I feel like that, you know. Uh, I can kill a, a, or that I know that a big deer is traveling, and really this gets back to uh, to the precision stand placement part that you you know you talked about uh, the other day that you wanted to ask me about. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
uh, with this, that's where this comes in. You know, most of your big deer are not going to travel dead, you know, right on that bench. They're going to be either above it or below it, mm-hmm. you know. So uh, the, the best place to be, you know, like I just said, is either, either above it or below it or on one end or the other of that uh, bench. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know where you have a lot more trails and stuff starting. Yeah, so where 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 it either kind of peters out or whether it opens up, right? It, it, well, not where it opens up, but where it, it starts petering out. I got gotcha. you. Know, uh, yeah, and 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 most most of the time that's going to be where it peters out on the steeper end. Mm-hmm. You know, let, let's say that you got a, a bench that's coming from, you know, a nice uh, open hardwood flat. And, uh, and and as it's uh, coming around the side of the hill, you know, it, it's starting to get into some steeper stuff. You want to be out on that steeper end. Hmm. That's good to know. That, that is good to know. And I, think to know. It's, I think it's interesting because a lot of people avoid the steeper stuff. Um, a lot of times people are like, and not because they don't want to, you know, hunt it or they don't want to go through the effort of right. of getting there because it's steep. It's just because... It doesn't look like what TV shows show you no, deer like to use. Because the sign is on the is on the flat where where the yeah. acorns dropping. You know. Yeah. Yeah. So so Nathan, that's the the interesting thing in this is that one of the things that we established that that I was telling you about earlier, um, that it, it it seems like deer sign concentrated deer sign where you have a lot like those main trails. That's not the spot where you're finding the big bucks. But I, what I've noticed is I'm finding very little deer sign at all, and not even really any buck sign in the areas where the big bucks, where I've killed big bucks. I'm not finding a whole lot of anything there. And so, right. you know, I'm I'm kind of curious what you're looking for if it is literally you are looking at a map and you're saying, I know that big bucks are going to use this and, and they're going to be there at some point. Is that your thought process or is it, I don't know if they're going to be there. I'm going to go look for something. Well, kind of both. You know, I, I I'm not going to have I'm not going to hunt a spot unless I have some kind of hard evidence that the buck I'm looking for lives there. Mm-hmm. Okay. You know, uh, big deer always leave some kind of clue around. Of course, you mm-hmm. know, but that there may not be much to go on. But I know from experience that, you know, and, and I'm talking outside the rut, right? Uh, and 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 really and truly, it's those very few days that he's actually with a doe. You know, outside of that time, you, in my experience, you, the older age class bucks, you're not going to catch them in those uh, heavy sign areas. Mm-hmm. You know, not during the daylight. Mm-hmm. You know, right? You've got to, and and really. You know, if you sit back and, and, you know, when you scout an area and you see all the signs, okay, and, and you know, you'll go through uh, areas that have a lot of sign, you'll go through areas that have very little sign, you know, you can start putting the pieces together, you know, just know not to hunt those heavy areas, you know, signs with heavy sign. Now, you need to consider those type of spots, of course, mm-hmm. but you don't want to, you know, hunt them. You want to start thinking about, okay, now, if there's a big deer in here, where is he coming from, you know? And, of course, he's going to be leaving, uh, you know, sign in those uh, areas, you know. Uh, one of the areas I'm hunting this fall, you know, last year it was absolutely wore out, uh, you know, because the, uh, um, the, the acorns were really concentrated in that area. 
there was a lot of really big sign there. Mm-hmm. But that, you know, I, I knew that that's not where I was going to kill a big deer. You know, the only time that I would ever kill a big deer there is if he was actually with a doe. Right. You, you you need to get back away from that, and uh, and and that's what I you know I start looking for. I just you know okay I've got a, a flat here that has you know a lot of heavy deer sign on it. And then I'm going to start looking for some steep areas you know that's you know within you know a quarter of a mile of there that I and you know it's got to have some cover there that I feel like that could hold a big deer you know. And then I start you know looking for some uh, big rubs or something other that would connect the two, you know. So. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Are you ever backtracking that sign? That's what, yeah, that's to, what I was going to some of those, like, like you're using basically that as your ocean and following the creeks it's to where like the creeks get smaller and smaller? Is that something that you're doing from those main big yeah. areas of big sign? Yeah, that, that would be a good way of looking at it, you know. Okay. So, okay. so Nathan, if if I'm hearing you right, because it's it's kind of like what people with like food plots or like you know ag land, um, they they take that and then work you know backwards, following the trails backwards. So you're you're actually using a a bench or a acorn tree or some some hot sign as a destination spot and then working backwards from that. Is that correct? Yeah, that yeah that would be a good way of. Uh explaining it that's exactly right okay okay and, and you know most of the time most of your uh you know doe family groups are not going to be very far from that hot sign you know right. but your, your bigger deer they're going to be on back from that right in, in most most situations you know that there's always you know uh variables to that of course and you need to be able to recognize that whenever that happens but you know most of the time those big deer are back away from those type of areas because right. you know uh, if you think about it, you know, whenever you're hunting and you see nothing but does and stuff, you know, and you're never seeing the big deer, but you're getting them on, you know, uh, your camera, you know, uh, an hour or so after uh, daylight, you know, that they're coming from a further distance. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. So Nathan, also question too, just real quick. Um, you, you have said doe group a couple different times outside of the rut. Um, do you just, I mean, do you do you jump those does to get to those bucks that are beyond them, or 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 do you kind of, um, you know, ease around them or try to ease play around safe, them or, yeah. or or play it safe? No, I, I always try to you know come in from a, an angle that I'm not going to booger anything. You okay. know, I, I, ideally, I don't want to spook a single deer. You know. Okay. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense because most of the time, whenever you jump those deer, they're going to run right back where the bucks are, and you know right. if you got deer running back through there, then you know they know something's up. So. Right. Yeah, that makes that makes a whole lot of sense. I'm the same way. I have heard more recently people talk more about, oh, I just I'll bump all those does off, and I know there's a there's a strategy to that in mm-hmm. a lot of ways, but um, you know it, it always makes me feel exactly like what you just said, Nathan, that. They're going to run straight to that buck who is incredibly smart and already really um, on his on his toes, like, and he's just going to say he may not know that there's something over there. He may not know that I'm there or smell me or have any way to confirm that I'm there. But just the fact that a doe mm-hmm. busted out of there is proof enough for him. I don't really need to go over there. So um, that makes a lot of sense. So when you're talking about that, I'm always interested in this, and I talk to most of our guests about this same type thing when you're talking about access 
especially in hill country, it's it's very important because you have, you know, when you first get to an area in the morning, it's still dark and your thermals are still pulling. They're still going downhill. But at some point, 8.30, 9.30, somewhere around there, your thermals are going to start rising back up the hill. Is that something that you're paying attention to on your walk in and on your walk out um, or one or the other? Or is that even something you're paying attention to at all? Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, matter of fact, you know, the, the uh, one of the bucks that I'm hunting uh, this coming fall, you know, I'm trying to figure that riddle out because he's, he is, he's lived in this one spot for, you know, I think he's, he's probably going to be eight or nine years old this coming fall. And, uh, and the, all the history I know of this deer, you know, that that's where he's at, you know, and I've got to try to figure out how to hunt that deer. You know, there's a lot of people hunted this deer and, uh, and, you know, but he's still alive, but he's still alive because of where he lives at, you know, he's, he's very, it's going to be very hard to kill that deer just because of, you know, the way the thermals are in there and the way that the, the, you know, the wind comes across the top of the ridge. I mean, he's, and, and whenever he gets up and, and leaves, you know, most of the time it's going to be after dark. But um, um, I'm looking forward to that challenge. But, yeah, it, it, you know, you, you always have to be thinking about, you know, uh, that. So. so when you're looking at an area in the mountains specifically and you're saying this is a good spot for the morning um, when my thermals are going to be obviously dropping, are you, are you always looking for a spot where you're going to come, you're, where you're basically going to have to walk uphill um to get to your spot so that your thermals aren't dropping straight down into the bottoms does that make sense are you always accessing from the bottom and going up especially first thing no no not necessarily because you know a lot of it has to do with uh, which direction you know the deer is going to be coming from you know definitely it, it, it it comes back to where the acorns are at you know uh in in relative relative to where he's bedding you know so you know it you know if the acres are up top and he's bedding on the side of a hill you know then he's going to be you know going back and forth you know uphill uh from his bed you know uh or if they're you know down low then he's going to be coming downhill uh during the evening then going back up so uh, there's a lot of variables there and that can change throughout the season and it can change from year to year and, and most always does so Hmm. it's just something that you always have to be aware of yeah yeah sure i think it's it's it, like you said it's going to be a booger to kill that one deer it's because it's it's always a it's always a puzzle there's always some type of puzzle mm-hmm. when you're talking about killing especially killing mature bucks yeah. and i i can think of the the ones that i have killed where i put those pieces of the puzzle together um number one it was totally worth it mm-hmm. it's so much fun yeah um it's a it's a pain in the butt like what you said nathan it's a booger but the payoff the reward of it is a blast to be able to figure these mm-hmm. deer out yeah yeah um and, and yeah. one of the things that i've always tried to do is is find those common denominator things that i feel like hey this is something that i could go into an area and have a pretty good chance of there being deer in that area, mm-hmm. those common denominators. For me, it's always been a a ditch that comes out of an area with three or more transition lines, mm-hmm. right? A low a low lying area out of a off a ridge that has some hard edges mm-hmm. in it. That's always been a common denominator thing for me. For you, 
Nathan, it seems like you have a lot of things. There's a lot of pieces to the puzzle, but what I've heard you say a lot more in this episode than anything else is, and it all depends on where the acorns are at. Mm -hmm. Is that, would you say that that is the number one thing that you're paying attention to in, on these big mountains? Yes, but because that changes more so than his bedding is going to change, Mm -hmm. you know? So uh, you have got to stay on top of where the food is at. If if you can, uh, you know, it's hard enough hunting in these mountains, you know, uh, because, of the uh not only the terrain but the low deer density mm-hmm. you know so if you don't know where those deer are going to you you could potentially hunt the whole season and hardly see zero yeah you know so uh yeah really and truly acorns are king you Do know you... uh and we have a lot of years that we have no acorns hmm. <laughs> that makes it tough yeah <laughs> yeah yes yeah yeah so then you start looking for uh areas that have some grass yeah. And, uh, you know, of course, around here, uh, there, you know, well, of course, now we, we do have, you know, in the valleys and stuff, a lot of farmland. Mm-hmm. So, you know, those are the type of areas that you want to start concentrating on then, you know, some national forest that comes down in behind some uh, private land. So, right. But uh, when there's when there's acorns, uh, you definitely, you know, that that's what you want to be keying in on. So are you you're, so are you finding obviously you have to at some point, whether it be scouting or doing scout hunts you're gonna to have to find those where those acorns are at and probably be able to find the, the the specific ones that they're hitting is it something that you're going through all season and trying to figure out because i know here we have white oaks and red oaks and the red oaks tend to uh they, they have a what is it a higher um acidity level yeah, inside of them and, yeah. so it it preserves and them a little bit longer yeah is that are you looking are you separating those two and saying at this part of the season I'm looking for these the white oak species of acorns that they're going to be pounded and then later in the season you're looking for red oaks or is there ever a point where the acorns do not play into your hunting tactics No that you know I of course for sure you know uh, you know up until mid October, you know, you can you can be hunting uh, white oaks, but once they're gone, they're gone. You mm-hmm. know, then you start to concentrating on red oaks. But you know, uh, some years there's neither. But now, t- to me, a worse situation, uh, which I really don't mind it, but if you have a really heavy acorn crop everywhere, that that can make it pretty difficult. Yeah. But if you know if you know uh where uh, you know a big deer is then he he's not going to go very far from where he's bedding. Mm-hmm. So as long as you know where you know uh, at least one area that he frequents uh a bedding then you know I would definitely be concentrating on acorns that's around the fringe of that. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, so know, Nathan do you do you go um scouting for beds or do you just look for like a um you know some terrain features that that you have traditionally found a big buck beds in well during during season you know i don't really go looking for beds but Mm -hmm. now outside of season you know i will i'll i like to shed hunt those steep hillsides and stuff and and that's actually what i'm doing you know i'm looking for any features or anything within that uh, you know cover on those steep hillsides that yeah. You know, big bucks are going to be baited on, and and generally, you know, uh, you'll find where they're at, and then, you know, it, it's not that hard to locate. 
exactly where they'll be, you know, as long as there's some kind of a flatter feature within that uh, steep hillside, you know, that's generally where they're going to be. Yeah. And then you just, you know, start cat- scouting the, around the outer edges of it, and uh, and you'll find little terrain features and stuff that those bucks would use when they're exiting those type of spots. So, so, so I've heard you say another thing quite often is you got to know where the buck lives. You got to know where he lives. You got to know yeah. where he lives. Um, but also I've heard you talk about how they're not as easy to pattern. They're making rounds. They're making circles. What, how big do you think that that, I guess, core, core area, area yeah. for a big buck actually is in the mountains? And obviously knowing, knowing this, that in the mountains, a deer could literally be one ridge over or one drainage over and you might not never know mm-hmm. he was even around. I mean, there's always that possibility, but how big do you think that area is and how often do you think a deer comes back to the same spot, like the same location where you might be able to kill him? Well, the buck that I'm hunting this year, I know of around 22 to 2,400 acres that he uses, you know, and and it could actually be bigger than that. Uh, But, you know, I'm going based off of, you know, where I know trail camera pictures have been taken of this deer, sheds have been found from this deer. And uh, so he, he uses a really big area, and I think that's probably pretty common, you know, for uh, uh, these, you know, mountain bucks. But, uh, you know, it, it can it, it can take a few days for a buck to, you know, make a round. Mm-hmm. And uh, because, he, you know, in, in my mind what he's doing is he, he's just going from family group to family group to family, family you know, doe group, mm-hmm. you know, uh, checking on each one of those. Uh, and so, you know, it, it may take him a day or two, you know, that that's one reason that, you know, I, I remember growing up, you know, reading, uh, North American whitetail and other magazines and, and stuff like that. And they always preaching, you know, do not overhunt areas. Well, I can see that being true in highly broken areas, you know, where your deer are more concentrated, but that's, that's a mistake in the mountains, you know, mm. obviously you have to stay on hot sign or, you know, uh, you don't want to hunt over it, of course, but we didn't talked about that. But mm-hmm. you, you know, you've got to give those spots time to produce. You know, it, just because you go and hunt that spot today doesn't mean that you know you need to give up on it. And because you you know you've left too much scent or something like that, you know, you need to give that spot some time to produce because it might be two or three days before that deer ever comes back through there. That's huh. see that to or me or longer. That to me is a challenge that I'm willing to accept because that challenges my way of thinking. And it, it makes does. a lot of sense because I'm the one who's guilty of not, I mean, I may hunt it, you know, two days in a row. Most of the time I won't though. I don't, I don't go into an area where I think a big muck buck might live and go back and hunt it the next day. Typically. Well, it, it just challenges that. And, and Nathan, you, you probably aren't sitting the same tree, you know, but also it just challenges that, first sit is best sit you know i mean that that's what you typically hear yeah and is, and, I, and i still kind of believe that would is, do you agree with that nathan first sit best sit yes and no <laughs> uh, maybe not that, that is a <laughs> that is a it depends you know like it uh, i'm gonna use ohio for example that would hold more true there than yeah. it would in the mountains. It's good stuff. And right it here. would also depend on the time of season too. Yeah. You know, 
and, and and again back to the acorns you know if if you have a buck that uh is uh very comfortable uh you know in a a 40 acre spot you know he's got he's got everything he needs there you know there's plenty of acorns you know uh from mid september up into mid october he's probably not going to go very far from there so you know the first sit there you know it's going to be more uh critical you know because yeah. he's not moving very far uh, but now once you know you start transitioning into later october first november then he's going to start venturing out further from uh, his core area so you're probably going to want to spend more time in uh you know uh, key terrain features uh you know to be able to capitalize on on that movement so this is so interesting man this this is this is this is worth the podcast right here. You it's know? another train of thought. Like, it is. It's it's not anything, you know. It's not. It's definitely not anything crazy to think about. Mm. It makes total sense when, I mean, if he's not there, then he's not there. If the deer aren't, if there's not a lot of deer in the area, then your spot's not going to get blown. Yeah. Out. I mean, it's not rocket science. No, right? no, Nathan. One exactly. One of the things I was going to ask too, um, if let's just say that that deer's in that core area and you know you have to be there, do you do you do you change access routes just to not get patternable, or or do you just go in after him? Well, uh, you know, that's another one of them depends kind of things. You mm-hmm. know, uh, my access, if I have a consistent wind, right, and I feel like that I can come into the area um, and not cross where I feel like he's he might be coming and going from, mm-hmm. then that's what I, I will do. But now if I feel like, you know, if I feel like that I could, you know, potentially him pick me up, then, you know, I would definitely alternate. Right, mm-hmm. right. You know, I, so, you know, because I definitely don't want to, you know, booger him and, and, and blow him out of there. Right. But, um but you know, of course, now the DeQuistos, you know, they're they're big on you know purposely blowing a buck out and then coming back, mm-hmm. you know, and, and hunting him in those spots. I've I've never tried that. I don't know how that would work in these mountains because you know he's got so many places to choose from. Right. Whereas in highly broken habitat, you know, he has less places to choose from. So. Right. Right. And, mm-hmm. and that that just that makes so much sense, and it, you know. It confirms a lot of things for me, which not necessarily things that I didn't know. Uh, one thing I do know for sure is uh, when I'm hunting mountains, it's rare that I see the same buck twice in a season. Like even young bucks. I just I don't typically see mm-hmm. the same buck twice in a season. And um, I'm sure I might more often if I were, you know, say hunting the same tree seven days in a row. Mm-hmm. I probably would see that deer twice, uh, the same deer twice. Yeah. But very rarely does that happen. And and that makes a lot of sense to me because what you are saying, Nathan, is there's almost so there, because everything is maybe not ideal areas, but it's there's so much of it that that big mature buck is not going to benefit from one spot more greatly than another spot. A ton, yeah. right? Like he's going to be able to find something because it all looks the same. Because it's all so monotonous. Yeah, yes. yeah. yeah. And yeah. so you know, and, and go ahead. I was just going to say it. It just for me, um, it makes a lot of sense. I've spent a lot of time saying, 
well, you know, you got to find those, you got to find those pockets because the pockets are where all the deer are at when you can find, but really, I mean, yes, true. That's mm-hmm. not false. But also if you blow a buck out, he's not just, he doesn't have to be there. He can find something somewhere else. Right. You know, because right. everything yeah. else is right. is the same. Well, and also it, it, it just kind of confirms too, because I know there's guys that, that we know here in North Alabama that have killed multiple deer from the exact same tree, mm-hmm. you know, and they, but they know when they're there, Yeah, you know? And so that's, that's good, Nathan, man, that's, that's good stuff. You're going like to say, you're going to say something. I cut you off. Oh, I was just going to say, even though, you know, the, the mountains, you know, it's what's on one ridge is the same as the next and the next and the next, those bucks are still going to prefer you know, certain areas. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yes. Just because of that, you know, they just like it there better. Mm-hmm. And the the heavier um, or the more food there is available to them, the less they're going to venture from those spots. Right. The less food there is, the greater chance there is for them to be venturing from those spots. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that that comes in, you know, to play, you know, if, if so- there's a, a heavy acorn crop, then you know you're going to have to maybe worry more about uh you know hunting one you know hunting a certain spot you know less yeah so he's going to be within that area more and the less food there is available then you'll probably want to hunt area you know certain uh features more for the likelihood of one coming through there so if you had your choice nathan would you take less food or more food in an area less food less food i don't want none but i don't want uh, an overabundance either i i would rather be at rather the acorns be isolated to certain areas you know oh. or a certain elevation hmm. uh, a certain ridge that makes you know? sense yeah that makes sense to me when you when you think about this so um you, you know they talk about uh, and nathan you you wrote about this in the article um, that 10% of hunters consistently kill 90% of the deer, mm-hmm. right? And uh, 90% of, or, or I'm, I'm sorry, 10% of the hunters are doing the work to, and, and trying to learn and figure out all these things to yeah. kill those big giant deer. And and I, I think it I think it makes a lot of sense because when you when you think about it, like 90% of the deer are in those big, huge, you know, uh, flat areas mm-hmm. or just the heavy sign areas. That's where 90% of the deer are. Right. And 10% of them, maybe even less than 10%, are isolated, mm-hmm. mature, big bucks. Um, Which where you, ha- you have to be where the 10% is. And, and do, do, you, do you find it interesting, though, that the 10% are hunting the 10%, right? Like, almost, almost as if... You have learned Nathan to hunt the mature buck animal, and basically just left that ninety percent. the The deer is no longer a part of it. It's the mature buck, which is almost a completely different animal. That's, that is that is exactly it. If I could tell anyone one thing to change about their hunting to kill more big deer, is you have to change your mindset because you're hunting a different animal. You can't keep, you can't hunt uh, 
you can't hunt 90% of the deer if you want to kill that upper 10% animal mm-hmm. because they don't – they kind of do, but they kind of don't coexist, not during the daylight anyway, outside the rut, which is 90% of the hunting season. You know, whenever you're hunting, you know, from the beginning of the season to the end of the season, yeah, you know, you're hunting you're, – the rut is such a small part of uh, of hunting season right you know so it's, it it makes a ton of sense to me man like it's it's so good and it's it's so refreshing and and very rarely do we have a podcast that i feel like actually challenges me yes to do things a little bit different like yes. i feel i feel pretty prideful in in the way that i hunt i have a lot of success i do well um, this is one that really challenges me to think maybe a little bit differently mm-hmm. and to really, you know, try to come up with, you know, be that 10% and be in those 10% areas, even though those areas are going to have 10% of the sign, yeah. you know, 10% of the, of the tracks, the, the trails are going to be 10% smaller or, or uh, 90% smaller. They're going to be, they're just, it's a harder thing to do. It's a harder thing to do because... You know, your your buddy sitting on the ninety percent is like, yeah, I saw twelve deer. Exactly. And you, I saw none. You know, but that's okay because that when that one pops out, he's gonna be the ten percenter. Yeah, and you still have to pay attention to all that well, stuff. You still pay attention to where the, all the deer are at. I'm I'm sure, Nathan. It's not like, yeah, you you have to, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. But yeah. but once you start having success uh, from that, then your confidence starts going up in those type type areas. And yeah. and it's you know that then you it, it just comes automatic you know then those you start looking for those type of spots on purpose and and once you start doing that start hunting those type of spots and hunting them right then you know you're going to be the envy of everybody mm-hmm. yeah yeah man that's mm-hmm. good stuff because you're you're in the ten percentile then I mean and that's that's what I, that's what I want to be. That's that's who I want to be. I'm sure people listening to this podcast they want to be part of that ten mm-hmm. percent of hunters that are killing those those big bucks. So Nathan, we're getting up here. We're we're at an hour and a half in this podcast. I want to know one thing. If you could leave people with one piece of knowledge, one nugget, what would that be? Well, it's probably not going to be what you it would expect. Um. In this day and age, you know, I, I think you guys are Christians like myself. Yes, sir. Yes. Worship our creator and not what he has created. Good stuff. He, he put all this here for us to enjoy, but it's far more important to enjoy it right. Yeah. And I think this day and age, people get so obsessed with certain certain things. And... Um, I think that that really hinders people. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I know that's not the advice going to be. It's not going to be popular advice with most of your audience. <laughs> no, man, that's, that's that's I think, really... it, I think it's very important. And and you know, even if uh, even if Nathan, if you took if you if you took out the um just for maybe somebody's listening who's not a believer or or whatever, we clearly are. Um, at least I hope it's clear to most people, but. Um, even, even some, what you're basically saying is, um, don't focus so much, don't, don't put so much 
yeah. pressure on yeah. yourself. Go out and enjoy it. And the people that you see that are going out and enjoy it, it's not a coincidence that they usually kill better deer. Like no. the the, yeah. the the pressure is no longer there. You're going out and and what you just said, you're worshiping the Lord and you're exercising the dominion, which is what we say in every single episode. Mm-hmm. You're doing that and and it's a whole lot more fun that way. Like and I'm guilty of yes. of worshiping the creation. I, I promise you. Uh, I, when I look at every antler, I think of all the stress that went that I've dealt with in my life just to get that stupid piece of antler. Um, but, but at the same time, like I want to, I want to learn to do that. And Nathan, it seems very clear to me that that's what you're doing. You're going out and you're enjoying it. You're prioritizing family and uh, your faith and also killing big bucks at the same time, which is impressive. That's, that's really cool, man. But you know, and anything else, you know, aside from that, you know, uh, Hunt big deer. Hunt the quality uh, caliber deer you want to kill, mm-hmm. and sure. you know ch- change your mindset. Yeah. You know, to, uh, so th- th- that's the biggest thing. That's so good, man. So good, man. Well, so dude, good, Nathan. I I appreciate you taking the time this evening to uh, to come and record with us. And um, man, local legends has got a lot to live up to after this. Like that was. That was so much fun, Nathan. I hope you enjoyed it, man. And, uh, dude, we're going to have to get you back on the show at some point. Yes. Well, uh, I definitely appreciate the invite, and uh, hopefully some, you know, somebody can get something from it. Uh, I always enjoy doing these things. You know, whenever I first started doing them, and it's getting easier for me. <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, where I, I'm not a very uh, uh, well-spoken person, I don't think. Whenever I'm, whenever the the spotlight is on me, I feel like that there's this black curtain coming over me or a dark <laughs> cloud, and I just go into a fog. But it, I'm, it's getting better, so <laughs> that's a good thing. Yeah, man, I, I I thought it was I thought it was great. I know everybody listening yes. to this. You guys probably, I mean, you enjoyed it. You had to. You did. If you're a deer hunter, especially if you're a public land deer hunter, you had to have enjoyed that. That was so much fun. Um, so Nathan, dude, I really do appreciate it again, and best of luck this season, man. Yep, appreciate it, and same to you guys, dude. Drew, that was Gosh. oh, man. that was awesome. That, was, that was so much good stuff. Listen, we did not lie to you. I mean, I whenever we started, right. it we told you guys buckle up for the whole entire thing. It was phenomenal. Nathan is is a super humble dude. He's a he is a killer. I mean, you can go and look on on his YouTube. I mean, his Facebook stuff. Man, just stuff. Big bucks everywhere. Big. He makes my big bucks look like young bucks. Like, yeah, it's almost like you don't even want to be like, hey, I killed a nice one a couple years ago. <laughs> I killed I killed a good one once. <laughs> but but uh, super humble though, dude. Uh, he was that was a, a good episode. Again, remember this: we're giving away a Phantom saddle at the end of the month. This is the Local Legend series. We are in it right now. We're going to give away a Phantom Saddle as on the last episode of the Local Legend series. And all you have to do is go to YouTube and subscribe to the Southern Ground yep. Hunting channel. That's all you got to do. And if you're already subscribed, you're grandfathered in the competition, so don't worry about it. Yep. You, like, somebody might have literally subscribed last week, 
and you they could might, win. They might win the saddle. They might win. They might win. They so might. guys, go if you if you don't know what a phantom saddle is, go to um, Tethered and check it out. It, it's it's their new saddle that's out. It's super legit. Check out the Predator platform, man. Just just check it out. It's awesome stuff. I'm um, I'm a fan. So and you could win one again. Go check out Scree Gear at ScreeGear.com. Use this uh, discount code Southern Ground all lowercase all one word. You'll save fifteen percent at checkout if you do that. Um, let's see what else. Anything else? That's it, man. I haven't mentioned yet that um, I wasn't gonna I that, wasn't. that my face uh, almost got burned off yesterday. I, well, I mean, you know, you you put it out there on Instagram, but I wasn't going to mention that because I mean, like we talked about it in the podcast, in the for, podcast for a split second. But like the beard is gone, the mullet almost got gone. It got my it got my mullet right here. You I see mean, that? Yeah, where it's short. Yeah, it got my mullet. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunate events. Trying to make deer meat of all things. What do you try I mean, you know Unfortunate events. It is. I hope uh I hope that's not like a like a bad omen for what the uh the local legend series is gonna do to no, my dude, life. No, dude, it's it's it, well if 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 it is, then it just needs to keep happening because that was an epic podcast. We got a giveaway happening during local legends, you know. I, mean, I don't want you to blow up or anything. I don't have eye, eyelashes right now, bro. They're burned I, off. You already married two kids. I mean, you know, you're not trying to press nobody. Uh, well, that, I don't, it's like you have said continuously. You have a face for radio. You know, you have a face for podcasts. But now we're doing video podcasts, so I don't whatever. Anyway, it is what it is. Listen, thank you guys for listening to this first episode of the Local Legend series. We are super honored that you did that. If you enjoyed it, um, make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Uh, give us a, a five star review. And write something down. If you think Drew looks like he smells like sausage and cheese, then write that. If it's in Drew my beard, looks, it's in my beard. Drew looks like he smells like sausage and cheese. It's it's okay. You can write that. It's not going to hurt our feelings. Um, I'm I hope totally somebody, secure. I hope somebody does that. I hope somebody does that. Totally actually. secure. Um, but anyways, thank you guys again for uh, for listening or watching to the first episode that we've put on video, which yeah. is pretty cool. Um, make sure you subscribe. Follow us on Facebook, on Instagram, at Southern Ground Hunting. Um, I got nothing else, Drew. I just want to let people know that if they're going to be in the woods, yeah. you're going to be doing anything, scouting, fishing, um, maybe you're horseback riding. horseback riding or bird watching, whatever you decide to do in the woods this weekend. Remember that God gave us dominion over the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, and the beasts of the earth. So go out and exercise that dominion. We'll talk to you next time.